All right, welcome everybody to Mission Control. Uh, not the circumstances we were hoping to be doing this week's episode under uh, the Astros yesterday, uh, if you're listening to us on Monday morning, wrapped up a three-game home uh, losing sweep, I guess you want to call it that, against the Kansas City Royals. Um, the Astros had gone into the series half game up in the AL West with the Rangers and Mariners uh, going head-to-head in Arlington. And the Astros lost all three games. The Rangers won all three games, which means the Astros are now two and a half back, three in the loss column of Texas for the division and remain uh, half a game ahead of the Mariners for the sixth and final playoff spot in the American League. Earlier in the week, um, the Orioles came in, and of course, Baltimore um, is certainly not a weak team, and they were able, Baltimore, to win the first two games here. Uh, The Astros really salvaged a a lucky win, the only win of the week. I was at the game on Wednesday, and essentially the Orioles were out of relievers, right? They had come into the series having just clinched their last game of their weekend series last weekend. They then pulled off a miraculous comeback against us uh, to win on Monday night. They won a close game on Tuesday. And it was very clear Wednesday in that getaway day game um, that they were not going to use a lot of uh, A-list relievers. And the Astros were still losing one nothing deep into the game um, and were able to, to pull that out. Um, two to one. So that was the win for the week. Um, You know, in the big picture here, we're going to go to Aiden in a second for his thoughts. The Astros are now down to 14% to win the American League West. They had been hovering around 50%, you know, as recently as midweek and, uh, you know, gave back basically 12% a day for the last three days um, to get down to 14% to win the division. And, you know, more broadly, I think, Aiden, you'd agree, we've been talking about this all year. It's not surprising to us. And I'm reminded of the old saying, you know, about how you go bankrupt, which is very slowly and then all at once. And it feels like this season and, and frankly, the philosophical shift in the organization, there's sort of this very slow deterioration that's not obvious as we continue to win most of our games. But then it just sort of you know, the, the lack of margin for error means you lose these games and they become life or death um, instead of being five games up and, and having them be a nuisance. So thoughts on what happened this past week, especially with the Royals here? Yeah, obviously a uh, week to be forgotten. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't know how many runners experience their fastest times on uh, victory laps. Um, and that's sort of what we're seeing here that, you know, it's a team that has had um, clearly not enough urgency to win um, has been, you know, now experiencing results that are seriously costly, especially to their, let alone World Series chances, their playoff chances. Um, I mean, my biggest, I keep coming back to this, but um, look, as bad as losing to the Royals and the A's, and uh, I mean, some winnable games against the Orioles is the, the issue here is not really these last few weeks. It's this whole season um, because it's not like the Astros are, are playing awful baseball right now. Like I think some people are making them out to be. I mean, don't get me wrong. These games are not great, not fun. Nobody expects to be happy now, but they lose a one run game uh, on Sunday, a one run game on Saturday, a two run game on 
Friday, a four-run game on Tuesday, a one-run game on Monday, a two-run game last Saturday, a two-run game the Saturday before. Like Of their last uh, seven losses um, starting uh, in the Kansas City series, um, one of them has been by more than two runs. Like they're in these games, um, which also I guess sort of adds to the frustration that you know they're losing winnable games. Every ninth inning has they seem to have the tying run at, or, at the plate at some point. Um, so they're losing winnable games, which means that they are not like a different team than we've expected because this is baseball. The issue, and I've stated this on Twitter, and I've, I've this has been my point the entire time, is that when you rely on these small samples of success like the Astros have, I don't care who the opponent is. When you're relying on small sample success in baseball, you're not likely to be pleased. I can't stress that enough. I mean, think of the postseason. Everybody knows of the postseason as the perfect example of that. Nobody expects to win the World Series, no matter how good your team is. Even the 2019 Astros, and I'll stand by the fact that that's the best baseball team I've ever seen in my life, and that most people, I believe, have ever seen in their life, at least of the the century, had a, I believe, like 60% chance against the 88 or so were wild card win a team, uh, the Washington Nationals in 2019. Like that's as David versus Goliath, as you'll see. Um, and it's pretty much just a slightly weighted coin flip. So the playoffs are extremely random. So that's why no team can, I mean, every team sort of has to rely on winning in the postseason. But when you rely on winning in the postseason and relying and winning in a simulated postseason, like the Astros are kind of going to have to do this week in Seattle, you're not likely to be happy. That's how variance works. And that's what baseball is designed to be. Um, so as frustrating as these weeks are, um, the real takeaway should be that the Astros really messed this up earlier it's not like i mean if anything i've been more pleased with the astros decision making in these last few games i mean you're seeing the higher leverage um relievers come in in spots where maybe they wouldn't come in i mean normally for example ryan presley would not pitch the ninth inning today with a three-game set in seattle coming up at least from my perspective but they understand that this is not an inning where they can just throw a you know a, a bennett Sousa or joel kunal if he's up uh, and just you know hope to come out uh just only down run one run. So um, they are seeming to up the urgency a little bit. I think um, Yiner starts back-to-back games, even though it's with the two pitchers he catches. Um, I just don't believe that this is uh, a a time where you can up the urgency and expect to be uh, rewarded because of how small this sample is. Um, So, I mean, the big thing I want to talk about in this episode more than anything else so if you go to Tony Adams's Twitter, um, he had a really excellent tweet um, where he compared the Astros championship leverage index and their two title seasons to this season. And basically what that is, is it, it signifies the importance of each game on the probability, the team's likelihood of winning the World Series. Um, and, you know, I don't think it's uh, crazy to anybody to say that for almost the entire season, these games have been more important than in years past. I mean, if anything else, it was just because of the importance of winning the division. I don't think until this week, missing the playoffs was a huge concern. But nonetheless, these games have been incredibly important. I mean, since the midpoint of the season, you could just see this year's have just skyrocketed to the point where these are almost playoff games. I mean, not yet, but you know, you get the point. Um, So if, I mean, I've spoken uh, for a while about this sort of relationship between World Series odds and uh, urgency. Um, This is the relationship that needs to be graphed, the relationship between urgency and uh, championship leverage index. 
Um, and what makes a good manager is someone who's really able to master that. Um, it's no secret that you can't be throwing uh, Ryan Presley five games in a row to start the season. I don't think any manager would argue that um, because those games don't have nearly a high enough championship leverage index to warrant that sense of urgency. But there's also the other end of the extreme, which the Astros have fallen on way too frequently this year. And because of that, now they're in a position where they have to up the urgency uh, like to an unsustainable degree and too short of a sample. So that's my take on it. I think that graph is really an excellent depiction. And obviously, you know, urgency is extremely hard to quantify or just measure even qualitatively because there are so many factors that go into it. So it's not, we're never going to get this perfect graph of urgency versus championship leverage index, but you can conceptualize it to a certain degree. And when you're punting these ABs with Corey Jones, with Maldonado, with Abreu, uh, when you're not playing Chaz McCormick as much as he should, obviously the Einer Diaz saga has been, you know, spoken about to, a, to, a, to an extreme degree. Um, you know, when you're maybe not pinch hitting as much as you should when you're not using relievers in uh, anything but conventional seventh inning, eighth inning, ninth inning roles that catches up to you. And if the Astros could have stolen only one single game because of a pinch hitting decision or a lineup decision or a relief pitcher decision, like that would have paid extreme dividends now, especially because they don't have the tiebreaker with Seattle. So now they're in a position where I bet if you could rewind, you would really change things. So look, hindsight's always twenty twenty. But what this graph proves is that hindsight actually doesn't need to be used in this case because we could have known at the time that these games were extremely important. So this is not hindsight managing. What Tony proved here is that the Astros should have been operating with this sense of urgency the whole time because the championship leverage index was known at this point in the season, or at least at each the point of each game. Um, so it's a huge managerial fa failure by Dusty Baker, by the organization in general. Um, way too much power to someone who doesn't operate with a sense of urgency to play in a, in a division race, and here we are. Yeah, and you know, it's funny, you mentioned stealing one game and the potential value of it. And one thing that's not getting talked about at all, even among Astros fans, you know, the season series with Toronto, which who cares at the time, we lost that season series four to three, and we lost the last two games of it by one run. Um, we had won two of three here earlier in the season, and then we lost three of four in Toronto, including the last three in a row, only needing to win one of those three to win that season series, which does create a scenario. Now, it might actually do us a favor if it's the difference between being the five and the six seed, because I think most people would rather go to Minnesota than Tampa. You certainly could argue it, but Minnesota is probably, especially because they've got all kinds of injuries now where they're, they're resting Correa and Royce Lewis and everything, just hoping they'll be ready for the playoffs and they're on the, the injured list. But point being, you know, Maldonado caught the last game, a three to two loss in that series. If you steal that game, you have a tie break here on an actual playoff team that could make all the difference. And of course that would require Seattle leaping us, which will be tricky for them to do in this scenario. But um, the other thing though, is I kind of want to get off of dusty from my perspective here for a second, because obviously we've, we've talked about it a lot and his decisions are suboptimal and he's not using his best players because of this bias he has towards veterans and big boys and all this. But one thing dusty said that I think was correct. Dusty about, I don't know, it must have been, it was either mid-April, it's probably right after Akiti and Garcia go down, right, mid to right, late April, early May. Um, and he said, you know, I wanted to get some starting pitching in the offseason, but we didn't have a GM. 
And I think that's a fair enough statement from Dusty that, you know, we got lucky that Brandon Bielak threw 80 innings with like a 110 ERA plus, a total fluke that would never happen if you, you know, in a, at his median projection. Even J.P. France, who's going to end up giving them about 140 innings of slightly above average baseball, the, that bailed them out somewhat. But what we're seeing now, Hunter Brown today, four home runs allowed. And we've talked about it before. Hunter Brown has been plagued by a very high batting average on balls in play. That seems like bad luck and should be unsustainable. Hard to argue that four home runs is a result of bad luck on balls in play. Certainly home run to fly ball ratio we've talked about. But he has not progressed well late in the season. Christian Javier has had ups and downs and struggled. J.P. France has hit a bit of a wall. They had to remove Rikidi from the rotation because he was too hittable. So, you know, a lot of problems here. And, of course, they had to give up two prospects to bring Justin Verlander back. They're two top prospects at the time. They basically gave the Mets any two they wanted in that scenario. So, to me, the story here, and I had tweeted about this, is less dusty, even though I agree you know, if Espada is managing the team, you know, gun to my head, they're two to four wins ahead of where they are. And even if they're one to three wins ahead, it makes all the difference because they really can catch Texas in that scenario. Um, but they signed three players in the offseason. They had access to Michael Brantley's medicals and somehow paid him $12 million. No one knew him better than they did. And they paid him $12 million and said he'll be ready on opening day. Um, Abreu, we've talked about at length. Yes, in the last two-thirds of the season, his contact profile has suggested a slightly above-average hitter. But you're still talking about $20 million of opportunity cost to put a slightly above-average hitter at first base. And it obviously didn't even pan out that way because you have to count the first two months of the season when his profile was much worse. And, of course, Montero, where they're putting $12 million a year, 11 and a half, into a guy who already projected to be their third or probably fourth best reliever um, and then ended up pitching like their fifth or sixth best reliever. So none of that is Dusty. Dusty's probably correct to say if we'd had a GM and the issue, and we've talked about this, Crane only knows who he knows. He knows certain players who've been here, who have track records here, who he trusts, and he's not going to open his wallet and give out a $100 million contract to some player who's never been here before or that he has no pulse for. You know, people have talked about how Abreu is close to a lot of our players and he's an MVP. And other than that, every single player they've acquired has just been keeping a guy. Graveman, Montero, Brantley, Verlander. They're just keeping guys who are already here when they were winning at some point in the last three or four years. And that approach has cost them, in my mind, far more than Dusty Baker being suboptimal repeatedly. Who knows what the opportunity cost was? I mean, could James Click have gone out and given Bellinger a contract? I, I can't say. I don't have any internal knowledge of that, right? Brandon Nimmo, I mean, were we going to invest in a guy like that? Impossible to say. But you couldn't possibly have done worse than getting negative war for $110 million on three guys. and. Every single guy, I think Montero is just broken into point one on fan graphs in the positive. Um, it, it's just a very confusing 
approach by Crane that I think has gotten buried as the season has gone on under Dusty and the pudding and all the nonsense. And the reality is, if there was even, forget the three signings, say that Crane goes out, right, and he signs three guys we should not have signed because he wants to be in charge for a few months and really take his time on this GM search. If he had hired a GM who he was willing to empower to send lineups down, or at the very least, sit with Dusty and, you know, remind Dusty that I am the GM and I'm your boss and we need to play this guy more. That changes the Dusty. Dusty is not someone who is going to quit in protest in June because you tell him he can't play Maldonado five days a week. Okay, there was no downside to putting a boss over Dusty. And I mean, I'm sure you would argue good if he does quit. But even if you don't want that, you wouldn't have had that happen. You just would have had Dusty giving a couple passive aggressive comments to the media like he did when they traded Miles Straw and it was fine. They went to the World Series without Straw and nobody cared. So to me, even if it's a Dusty critique, it comes down to Jim Crane giving a one-year contract to Dusty, telling Click, who is a 44-year-old GM who's not going to take a one-year contract coming off two straight World Series appearances, and, and Crane knew that to take a hike, and choosing Dusty over Click and then hiring someone who would let Dusty Baker be his own boss. Just wildly reckless. And every time I see the stuff that Dusty does, I think to myself, no other organization would allow their manager to not play a catcher who was put on the opening day roster in a three-catcher alignment because they knew with Altuve injured, they needed him at DH to lengthen the offensive lineup, and he just gave the finger to the new GM and did not play him for two and a half months. That's not even on Dusty. Dusty is entitled to have favorites because that is, as we've said, the human element. But you're supposed to have someone above the human element who says, that's too human. You can't do that. And we just didn't put that layer there. So that's how I look at it. Um, but I did want to ask you, and I, before we get into this a little more, um, the, the pitching staff here that uh, certainly appears gassed, although Christian Javier has shown some signs of light lately, and he's going to start game two in this series. Is there anything they can do to optimize this, or could they have done to optimize this better? Not from the start, but in the last week and then in this next week? Or are they just going to pray that guys miss bats here? Because um, it's not like they've got a lot of replacements um, that they could throw in. Yeah, I mean, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head with the, with your first point. Um, it's why this whole time, um, you know, people on Twitter have accused me of being anti-Martin Maldonado. Um, and I want to make it very clear, my gripe has nothing to do with actually Maldonado himself. I don't criticize what he is doing playing baseball at a major league level, especially at age 37 and with the wear and tear that he's experienced on his body is extremely difficult. So it's not necessarily like an, an issue with him. It's an issue with the guy who lets him do his job without much, uh, I don't want to say supervision, but without much uh, evaluation and, and decision-making upon that evaluation. It's kind of the same thing with Dusty. I think I'm a little more willing to criticize Dusty because it does seem to be more of an effort thing on his, on his end. Um, but yes, it is, he is in, in, he is enabled to do all of this because he doesn't have someone directly checking his work. So 
um, it all ties back to to the owner. Um, and that's also kind of how baseball works is that when you constantly have people over you, letting you make decisions and giving you power and control over the over the, the state of the organization based on how qualified you prove to be, it all resorts to who's the top and who has, you know, that ultimate decision making at the top of the tree. For years, it wasn't Jim Crane. It was Jeff Luno. That's the whole blank sheet. I mean, sure, Jim Crane stepped in once there was a cheating scandal, but any other, uh, I think, lesser infraction or lesser issue wouldn't probably go to Jim Crane, at least to my understanding. It was Luno's organization. He controlled all baseball operations, and that was extremely successful. Luno was the smartest guy in the room. Jim Crane is not the smartest guy in the room, or at least maybe now he is because of the, who the room consists of, but, you know, he's not. Um, and so... You, you um, have figured out why the room consists of who it now consists of. Yeah, I mean, just, exactly. He's, I guess he solved the problem of not being the smartest guy in right. the room. Right. You can always make yourself the smartest guy in the room if you really, really want to. So, um, I mean, then you're, you're, you're 100% correct on, on what the root issue is. I don't absolve Dusty of blame because it, it does seem to be an effort thing. And it does seem like at, even if 0.01% of his interest in is in serving his own preferences uh, instead of optimizing the team's chances, which I'd argue it's a lot more than 0.01%. That's a disservice to the organization. There's way too much riding on this team's success for him to do that. And that's irresponsible. And it should be an indictment on his, uh, his abilities and his, his uh, qualifications as a manager at, at this point in time. But um, regardless, you are right about that. Now, moving on to the pitching. Um, I think one clear, uh, I mean, look, the Astros right now on Fangraphs have a 59.9% uh, uh, chance of making the playoffs, so still more likely than not to make the playoffs. But what's the odds that uh, the Astros uh, need to, or at least will want to try 100% in their last, uh, I believe, their uh, Saturday game uh, against uh, Arizona this weekend? Um very high, very high. I mean, unless the Astros are completely out of it, in which case this point is completely moot, uh, the Astros will need or will be giving that Saturday game, uh, the second game of the series in Arizona, they're all. Um, now, why does that matter? Justin Verlander's pencil to start that game. Unless that unlikely scenario where they sweep Seattle and have clinched a spot by that game, in which case they can sort of take it easy occurs, which I don't think any of us should expect or should see as anything but an extreme outcome. Justin Verlander will be pitching that game. And if he pitches that game, then the the soonest he will be on full rest is for game three of the wildcard series. Framber Valdez is pitching the Wednesday game against Seattle. There's a chance, and I mean a real chance, that Dusty will bring him out for that Sunday game against Arizona on three days rest. If it's a must-win game to make the playoffs, it's him or Javier. And if Javier doesn't start well against Seattle, I don't know how you can give him a, a winner-take-all game, even if Frommer's on three days rest. So if you were using Verlander and Frommer in the last two games of the season, that means you are going into – and good outcome is you make the playoffs. That's not even a guarantee, but that's the good outcome. Then you are going into either Tampa, but most likely Minnesota, and throwing Javier and France against – Sonny Gray or Pablo Lopez or Joe Ryan. Like, it's not a recipe for success. So, honestly, unless the Astros sweep Seattle, they will be feeling the effects of this this uh, sudden uh, fall from a cliff uh, in, in relatively significant proportions. So, by the way, 
Arizona needs to win those games too. Yeah. They're, it, that's no picnic. They're, they're in a, a four-way race for two wild card spots there behind Philadelphia. And they're in a decent position because they played really well the last two weeks. Your hope is almost that maybe they've clinched a playoff spot by the yeah. last two games. And will they play hard if it's the difference between five and six? They probably won't start their ace in, on Saturday or Sunday, right? You're not going to see Zach Gallen, who's lined up, by the way, because they got a rain out against the Yankees and they have to play tomorrow on Monday. So their pitchers got pushed back into that series, their aces. But anyway, I'll, I'll continue with you. But Arizona could also be in a situation where they need one more win to clinch a playoff spot. And you've got Verlander out there Saturday and they're desperate too. It's just yeah. a disaster. The Astros will see Gallon in this series unless Arizona clinches. He's just pitched. He pitched the Sunday game, meaning that uh, his first full rest day will be Friday. So unless they're, there's no reason the Astros won't see Gallon, and Gallon's not unhittable by any means. But yeah, your your point is correct that the pitchers the Astros are seeing this weekend, Zach Allen, uh, probably Merrill Kelly, and obviously this week it's Castillo, Kirby, Bryce Miller. I mean, I guess this kind of like I mean, look the the the, the I guess psychological benefit of all of this is this will week will very much be uh, if they can't come through they probably don't deserve to be in the playoffs and they probably were not going to to make the noise we expected but it's a shame because the al playoffs are also open like this is not a year put them in the national league make their second round matchup in atlanta in los angeles and i'm saying slim chance granted it's the mlb playoffs so anything can happen but um this would be a disappointing year to to sort of uh, fumble that but that aside yes the astros will be facing a, a, a hungry and and desperate but appropriately desperate arizona team um and seattle might be facing a texas rangers team that's locked into the two seed i mean it's like the rangers honestly don't even really have a plus starters healthy right now that they're that, that we say oh i can't believe they're not facing seattle but you want a team to be competitive when you want them to win that's obvious i don't think anybody would argue against that so i don't think i don't think the rangers are going to do us any favors there either right i'm sure there's always a a, a, some sort of underlying motivation that they'll never admit maybe they'd admit honestly at at this point but if the rangers can uh, knock us out of the playoffs i don't think they're going to to uh go to extreme measures to avoid that so Regardless, yeah, I would like it if the Angels could somehow steal a game or two. Two is greedy, but if they could at least steal one, yeah, keep them in it. Keep the Rangers honest. You know what I mean over yeah. the weekend. Um, so look, that's where it is right now. It's a really bad situation. Like, there's no real. I mean, look, the Astros sweep Seattle. Maybe we have a different conversation. Um, but that is unlikely given the three pitchers they are facing. Um, they are. Throwing three pitchers who have not been the the aces we would like them to be. I mean, like you, I, I, the Verlander. Honestly, the Verlander, uh, Justin Verlander this year, honestly sums up exactly what uh, you'd ex- or what you know. He sums up the Astros season in that he hasn't even been that spectacular, but you paid a huge price for him. But at the same time, where would they be without him? It's like he's a incredible. He's been an incredibly mediocre pitcher. That's honestly saved the Astros this season. I mean, you're throwing Jose Arquiti every five days. Um, and by the way, I mean, it's, it seems like, honestly, the Astros maybe should consider giving Arquiti a start in Arizona um, before otherwise. Um, but, uh, you know, nonetheless, I think it's a, uh, it's a situation that they really want to be, uh, you know, considering all options. And 
now and here we are. So um, I'm extremely disappointed with the way this has progressed. I mean, there are very few outcomes where you look at this and say, wow, the Astros actually felt no negative effects from this stretch. Um, and I think that'll show in either missing the playoffs, losing the division, or not being able to throw the starters you want. Um, and so, yeah, that's my perspective on it. Yeah, and a couple other things here to, to touch on uh, that have happened this week. One is Michael Brantley appears to be just, you know, going to the glue factory upstate here at this point because he is, uh, again, sore, um, unable to perform due to the shoulder injury. And um, certainly if he's available in Seattle, Dana Brown was interviewed on the radio before the game today and said he hit inside today. Um he feels a little better. They're hoping to have him available in Seattle. I mean, basically the best case scenario is that Brantley is getting the John Singleton eighth inning pinch hit at bat for Maldonado or whatever the case may be um, in a close game in Seattle. But he certainly doesn't appear like he's going to start again this season. And then they had Jordan. And if this isn't our injury management in a nutshell, you hear nothing about anything being wrong with Jordan for over a week. Then suddenly you hear that the reason he's been DHing is that he tweaked his elbow um, on a swing or something like a week and a half ago. And then the very next day he's in left field. Like, oh, yeah, never mind. And that was today. I don't think we ever got an explanation for why Chaz McCormick was the DH today with Jordan in left field. I don't know what that was supposed to accomplish. Um, but regardless, if Jordan can play the outfield, now let's be clear. Seattle's outfield is more challenging in left field than our outfield. So you actually do have to consider there, especially behind a fly ball pitcher in the first two games of the series with Verlander and Javier, you would think they would want to put a defensive, now forget the personal center fielder stuff for a second, but regardless, a defensive alignment in the outfield, which means we are once again going to be without Yiner Diaz, I would think for the entirety of the series, um, because. All three of these pitchers have been caught by Maldonado with the exception of one or maybe two, two Javier starts this season um, that Diaz caught. All the other starts from these three guys have been caught by Maldonado. You've got a big outfield. Um, now you're up against right-handed pitchers, which means realistically, you know, they're, they're so right-handed with all these guys as it is. But in terms of the reverse split that Yiner has, you lose that and you probably have Dubon in center field behind Verlander Monday with Chaz in left, Jordan at DH. Um, then maybe you have Myers behind Javier, but pretty much the same lineup on, on Tuesday. And it's a concern at this point. I don't know how they expect to get runs on the board against number one and number two quality starting pitchers from the right side with Abreu, Pena, Dubon, Maldonado, all in the lineup. And Abreu's going to hit ahead of Chaz. He's going to hit five. So you have four guys in the lineup who cannot hit right-handed pitching with any consistency whatsoever. I mean, Maldonado literally can't hit them at all. He's closer to me or you up there than Yiner against right-handed pitching. And so that's to me, I know we've beaten this dead horse on, on the lineup construction, but guess what? It's playoff time now. This is a playoff series. Both of these teams are fighting for one wild card spot. And there's a week left in the season. And we're not going to play Yiner Diaz. Now, 
Could Dusty, out of urgency, have him catch Javier? I doubt it. I think at this point, that's already been decided, and Maldi's already in the lab on his laptop looking over all of Javier's, you know, stuff. So, uh, you know, breaking down, you know, Eugenio Suarez's swing and whatnot. I don't know what you do, though. I mean, obviously, what you should do is, you know, either give Verlander or Framber or Maldi, but not both, have Yiner catch two games, then play first base over Abreu in the third game, the one that Maldi catches. But they're obviously not going to do that. So, to me, that's worth a lot here. And it, as you said, needing a sweep to feel comfortable going to Arizona, I don't know how you get it with four guys in the lineup who are basically below replacement level cumulatively against right-handed pitching. So what are your thoughts on, on this series in Seattle and the offense post-Brantley here? Yeah, the concerns about against righties have always persisted. Um, I mean, my take... <laughs> Like, sort of going also back to your off-season point about, you know, this Abreu signing and stuff. Abreu, since June 1st, has a 105 WRC+. plus. So, yeah, exactly what we said, slightly above league average. And a .3 war. These players are just not that valuable, like, at first base if they don't play defense well, if they're not, like, very good hitters. For a reference, this, I mean, this is a very random player to compare him to. Dalton Varsho is having about as bad of a season at the plate as you can be, uh, as you can expect him to. Um, he currently has a 82 WRC plus. All of his projections were way higher than that. This is probably like a tenth percent outcome, percentile uh, season for him at best. But guess what? He plays a really good defensive center field. He runs well, and so his WAR is 1.8. Jose Abreu is so one-dimensional that you're just not expecting that much value. So when it comes to who do you want in the lineup, Jose Abreu, Yiner Diaz? Jose Abreu. Now, Martin Maldonado, this is a whole other case. And I've, I've, I've made this case very, very, uh, you know, thoroughly. But uh, let me read, since the Astros golden era, so 2017, uh, a list of the lowest war in single seasons among catchers. But instead of the players, I'm going to name the, name the teams they were on. 2019 Texas Rangers, not in contention. 2022 Baltimore Orioles, didn't make the playoffs. 2019 Pittsburgh Pirates, didn't make the playoffs. 2022, uh, Colorado Rockies, so far from contention. 2023, Eric Haas on multiple teams, neither of which are in the playoffs. Uh, 2017, San Diego Padres, uh, uh, not in the playoffs. 2018, Tampa Bay Rays, not in the playoffs. Now, this season, Martin Maldonado. 2022, Washington Nationals, not in the playoffs. 2018, Detroit Tigers, not in the playoffs. 2017, Pittsburgh Pirates, not in the playoffs. Um, like, this is such an anomaly for a contending team to be playing a catcher like this regularly. And guess what? I bet you every one of those other teams, except for, I guess, 2022 Baltimore Orioles, didn't have a young star behind the plate to replace him with. And even Robinson Chirinos in that season caught uh, 67 games. He was just so unbelievably bad on defense that his war just sunk. The positional value that catchers get is so extreme and generally for good reason that it is so unbelievably difficult to put to post a negative war. For reference, Martin Maldonado last year, and nobody could call him an all-star or MVP caliber player last year, obviously. He was not a very good baseball player last year. Posted a 0.5 war. Like, he was a positive value player. This year, it's minus 1.3. And uh, so when you're looking at should he be in the lineup, of course he shouldn't. 
Of course he shouldn't. And and compare him to Diaz, and and it's 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 basically a joke in its own right. So um, I mean, and honestly, like I would also make the argument that uh, Martin Maldonado isn't even as uh, his war honestly overvalues him a little bit. I mean, the the, the positional value argument uh, has a, a lot of components to it. Um, and the reason catchers are so high on the positional uh, spectrum is because there are not many players who can play catcher, right? It's a, it's a position that's extremely unique. But another component to it is that if you put Martin Maldonado at any other position, he's terrible. There's not a single, I mean, first base, maybe he doesn't cost you like several wins, but any other position, he'll cost you wins. You can't put him anywhere. So this is not like a Yiner Diaz where you could probably like plug him in the left field. And the other component, which this isn't even baked into the positional value is, Catcher is a huge, a very important position, just like shortstop is. So having a detrimental catcher is a lot worse than having a detrimental first baseman like Jose Abreu. Like the the, the range of uh, of uh, fielding run value or just defensive impact is much greater for catchers than it is for a position like first base. So you actually get Martin Maldonado does get this extreme positional boost, but because he can't play anywhere else, because the Astros, I mean, this shouldn't impact his specific war, but from the Astros perspective, they do have another guy to play catcher. It's not like he has a unique talent that they can't find elsewhere. And because he's bad at an extremely important position, he is so detrimental. So I would argue he's cost the Astros more than more than just 1.3 wins this season. And that's not even accounting really much for the fact that Yiner Diaz exists. Like, put in a replacement level catcher there, and I'd still argue he's cost the Astros more than that. So it would be a pretty uh, telling way for the Astros to go down if in these three Seattle games we see Martin Maldonado in all three games, which I think both of us expect to, or at least are likely, yeah, we think is likely to, to occur. Um, because they are going to die with, a player by that has probably cost them the difference between making the playoffs and, uh, and missing the playoffs, let alone potentially even maybe contending or winning the division. So, um, it would be pretty fitting. And, um, we, we talked about their lineups versus righties, but if Brantley's not there, they have six guys who can hit righties and nobody else comes even close to trying to hit righties. So, um, not having those six guys in the lineup will, be just a, a disservice to this organization, um, to the fan base, to whoever, and obviously to Yiner Diaz himself. Um, even if we see a single Chaz rest day, that's 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 a disgrace. So um, we'll see. I don't want to go too far into this these these lineup decisions without actually seeing the lineups. But I mean, Dusty will be put to the test, and for him, there's almost no way to win because if he goes without Yiner, he's making a mistake. But at the same time, if he says, you know what, here we need Yiner in these games, what in the world was he doing the last few months? Was it were the games not important? Tony proved that they were that important. So, well, that's that's why you're not going to right. I mean, Dusty at this point is a poker player who's got ninety percent of his chips in the pot, and he, he's holding a hand that he realizes is a losing hand. But at this point, he's just going to push the remaining ten percent of the chips in because to put Yiner out there is to admit having completely misjudged everything, and he's just not going to do it. Um, it's interesting. You talk about the top six, and I had done a little research on that this week. I think Drew Shirley had asked on Twitter um, how many times they've had their top six hitters um, batting one through six, not just starting, but actually batting one through six. And it was four times, but Altuve left very early in one of them. There were three full games, all of them in August. There was this brief renaissance for the offense when Abreu was on the injured list. And even though Singleton didn't do much, he just worked a lot of deep counts and they were just hitting like crazy around him for this two or three weeks there against Boston, Detroit. There were a couple other series in that run. Um, 
But they scored nine or more runs in all three games. It was just a bloodbath. And it came from me tweeting just the full sort of savant chart of our 12 sort of savant qualifying hitters for the season that show that in, you know, the expected WOBA, you had six guys at 69th percentile or higher. Um, and Jose Altuve, who's always undervalued by some of the exit velocity stuff, was the low man there at 69th percentile. And we know he's a better player than that. And But everybody was basically in the top quarter of hitters then, right? All six of these guys are in the top 25% of, of qualifying hitters in the league. And then starting with Abreu, everybody else is in the bottom third. There's just this cavernous gap between the top six and the bottom six, which includes, you know, Jake Myers, ninth percentile, Jolks, 15th percentile. I mean, numbers that are way down there. And to see the way the lineup was actually used this year, two of those losses to Toronto that I'm talking about on the tie break, we had Dubon batting leadoff against a righty with relative health. Uh, you know, there were plenty of options. You know, Chaz was hitting eighth in one of the games and all kinds of stuff. So, you know, the, the, the haves and have-nots become a real issue when you look at the full season. Dusty's had about 100 games or 85 games, if you count Altuve's injury, 85 games where he had something close to the full lineup available. And he optimized it three times, three out of half of the season. So it does matter. I, I don't want to discard it but like you said earlier ultimately it's about the oversight of that position and it wouldn't be hard for most gms to say i want these six guys in there you know all but one game each every week you can figure out if somebody needs one day off but other than that they need to be top six bunched together regularly and nobody said it you know dana's very clear on the record and i think fans need to understand that that when the general manager goes on the record and says the manager has final say over that, there's nothing I can do, that's not something that happens in the league. Like it, it, it might have 25 years ago, but it doesn't happen now. It really doesn't. And, and we've normalized it here again. And it's unfortunate because it didn't happen here. You know, AJ Hinch, yes, he had some flexibility day to day. He didn't literally have a lineup sent down, but nobody questioned why he was there. He was hired by the general manager. And by the way, AJ Hinch had been a discredited nerd hire in Arizona four or five years earlier when he was hired by, I believe it was Josh Burns, who was the GM at the time in Arizona, formerly of the Red Sox front office under Theo Epstein. And he hires A.J. Hinch, and A.J. Hinch is a front office executive. Yes, he's a retired player, but he'd been an executive in the front office, and he plops him down into the dugout, and I believe they'd fired Bob Melvin, in the middle of the season in 2009. And the, the reaction at the time, I remember, I mean, I was 23 or whatever it was at the time, was that you know the clubhouse wanted to know why this front office guy was being dropped into their dugout and the next year, the owner fired Hinch and fired Burns on the same day. He pulled the plug on the whole experiment. That manager didn't resurface again. He went back into the front office with the Padres. This is Hinch. Until Jeff Lunau put his own name on the line and said, this is the guy I want managing. 
That's how the overwhelming majority of managers got their job in this league. A general manager said, I trust this guy to implement my vision. We have one of the very few managers in Major League Baseball who's there because the owner thought he'd be good for deflecting from a scandal and then cycled through a bunch of GMs who don't have any authority, two GMs, who don't have any authority over the manager. So, you know, it's it's unfortunate. It comes down to the system. But to bring it back to where we're going today um, with, with this coming week, um, it's hard to see a scenario where we get into the playoffs, as you said, unless the lineup is either optimized to sweep Seattle or we get very lucky throwing Verlander, throwing Fromber, and sneak into the playoffs and have J.P. France on the mound against Sonny Gray in game one in Minnesota. That's like the realistic like 90th percentile or 80th percentile if you give us 15% to win the division still. That's the 80th percentile ceiling here is you hope to have J.P. France on the mound in a game one um, as a fairly heavy underdog. So um, final thoughts, Aiden? I mean, yeah, but you said it spot on. Um, Dusty Baker uh, inherently made a bet, I would say earlier in the season, but honestly, I think it happened way, way, way before that, um, that the Astros would not be within a game of winning the division or making the playoffs um, with his managerial style. Um, honestly, maybe Jim Crane made that bet when he hired Dusty Baker, who's not the cutting edge, squeeze out every possible win that, you know, a guy like Brandon Hyde is. Even AJ Hinch was a little bit more, um, I mean, yeah, comfortably more at least um, than Dusty Baker. So um, this is now, I mean, don't forget, I mean, 2020 was a, was a weird season, but uh, the Astros were not very good that season. Uh, made the playoffs, I mean, they're, because of the 18 playoffs, which, which made sense as a, as a general format in that season. Um, and also, but, but, but we're not in a, in a very good position. Um, and now we're seeing this again. So, I mean, of the two division races that Dusty Baker has been in, I don't know if Seattle made some noise in 2021, but I don't think that was ever really, really a race. But of these two division races, I mean, we're about to see him go, Go zero and two, um, not in an extreme like oh he completely butchered it fashion, but um, that's not all that unexpected from a guy who doesn't try to squeeze out every possible win. Um, it makes a difference. Um, baseball is a strategy game. I'll stand by that. Um, I have nothing against Dana Brown personally. For example, I think I'll I'm willing to see it through, see what he can do. But just generally speaking, there is not a big difference between hire, just hiring the smartest guys and hiring the guys who are most likely to succeed. I mean, baseball is a it, it, so understanding how to succeed in baseball is understanding how to use information to the best of your abilities and make decisions off of that. That applies to so many fields that just focus on hiring the smartest guys. So the Astros chose baseball men, they fired the smartest guys, and now we're seeing that this organization is left to be suddenly a, not a cutting edge organization. I think player development might be the one thing they actually still have going for them. Um, and when now when they're put in a position where they need to squeeze out wins, they're not doing it. I mean, even in uh, in the 2022 playoffs, I mean, I know they played uh, a lot of close games against Seattle and stuff. Um, 
there was never a point in the division where they were like, oh my God, we don't have healthy pitchers to th- in the playoffs. We're like, oh, we don't have healthy pitchers to throw or um, we need, we need a pinch hitter when it's uh, aside from Maldonado. Like there were, I mean, I think Dusty managed the Seattle series. Well, um, I credit for him for how often he used guys like Presley and Abreu, but it wasn't like a, this is going to make or break this, this, the, the, the world series, which is, you know, part of the reason I say that I think it's not a very, uh, it's not rocket science uh, to win a World Series with with a with a with a team that that, that plays like that. So um, I think this is a pretty strong reflection on uh, Dusty Baker. Um, I think uh, records in one and two run games are relatively random, but when you have teams like the Orioles who try to like, I mean, you look at the Orioles lineup card in some of these games. I didn't even know that many players can play on an MLB or can can fit on an, on an MLB, MLB roster at one point. Like it's yeah. You know, I tweeted earlier in the week. They showed up hungover after getting smashed in the locker room and used twenty one of their twenty six yeah. players in game By the one way, of the series against. That's them. that's the right way to use the everyone plays on my team. Not the oh we're going to play Chas McCormick seventy five percent of the season. No, it's to find everybody's strength and use them to the best of their ability. And it's also part on the front office. I mean, Jeremy Pena doesn't hit righties. He just, he doesn't. He hits lefties very well. But if the Astros were smart, they would get someone who, at the very least in late game scenarios, can hit lefties or hit righties well and can play a solid shortstop. That's what they would do. So it's not like Dusty has a, has a lineup. I mean, most of Dusty's bench is can it hits lefties, guys like Myers and Dubon. And, you know, even Maldonado when he's there. But... It's not like it's Dusty's given a perfect scenario, and obviously bullpen's been not fully healthy besides the top three. So, um, again, not saying he has a, has a perfect job, but you find little ways to squeak out wins, um, and then you're not in this position. I mean, the Astros are the most talented team of these of these three teams by a comfortable margin, and it's disappointing that, that they find themselves in a position where they just haven't produced the results, and a lot of these losses have been one-run, two-run games. And sure, it's not like you could directly point to Dusty's decisions, but the Astros have lost a lot of close games this year. Um, and 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 I don't think it's entirely random. I think when you – in to go back to full circle to that Toronto game that we were talking about, I believe it was the uh, – one, either one of the last two games of the series. It was the seventh inning. They were down one run. Martin Maldonado comes to the plate, and suddenly with a runner in scoring position, and suddenly they – don't score and end up losing the game. They were down one run, brought Maldonado to the plate. It was a high leverage spot, no success. You look at this Yankees game in August when Maldonado hits with a run, I think runner on in the eighth inning um, with Yiner Diaz available. It's ridiculous. I mean, it, the, that one was in Yankee Stadium, I believe. Um, and it, it's it's completely ridiculous. And, and, and it adds up. If literally one of those decisions would have worked out with Yiner, one of them, maybe we're in a, having a much different conversation today. So obviously... 100% like rooting for the Astros, hoping that um, this is not an issue. But the, the overwhelming reality is that when it comes to a competition of not who can hit baseballs the farthest or who can provide the most depth out of their bullpen, when it comes down to who can squeeze out these wins when they need to, doesn't seem like we can feel too comfortable with the Astros. So hopefully they go into Seattle and did what they did when they went into Texas a few weeks ago and just, you know, you know clearly just out-talented uh, them, but if it comes down to a seventh inning game, even though I take our bullpen, our back of the bullpen over Seattle's back of the bullpen, if we're in the seventh inning of a tie game. It's just hard to feel good right now. It really is. Seattle uses pinch hitters well. They they manage their bullpen well. We saw Matt Brass throw it in the fifth inning against us. So um, that's what I have to say about this. I hope I'm wrong. 
Um, but the Astros need to win on talent more than they need to win on or more than they can win on anything else. And that alone is just subject to an extreme amount of variance that just limits the the extent to which any Astros fans should be able to feel comfortable right now. And by the way, just a little housekeeping on that Blue Jays game we both referenced. Um, the game that decided the season series, Thursday, June 8th in Toronto, it's actually the game that Jordan leaves with an injury where he then is out for a while. So he, he left in the middle of this game. Um, Jeremy Pena hit leadoff against a righty, Jose Barrios, and went 0 for 4 with a strikeout. Chaz McCormick hit seventh, went 2 for 3, and was on deck when Jose Abreu struck out to end the game. Yeah. Um, which tells you the extra AB. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, and check the game before, and you'll see Mauricio Dubon at shortstop. You'll see Corey Jolks in the lineup, and you'll see Greg yeah. Kessinger in the lineup. That's right. I'm not they gave you, Bregman a day off. Yeah. yeah, I'm not saying you can never play these guys, but like if Atlanta's playing these guys with, and I'm not saying Atlanta's doing that everything right, but this is what halfway through the season where you're suddenly getting to a point where I don't know, maybe these these leverage indexes uh, should start to come into play. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a mistake, and and again, you, we're not saying that suddenly playing Alex Bregman in that game changes the game and changes the extra season. Just one or two of those decisions needed to change a game. And baseball, there are so many one-run games, so many opportunities for things to go differently. If you're arguing that playing Yiner Diaz in 10 more games couldn't, couldn't have impacted the, the team, or pinch hitting him once in the 7th or 8th inning couldn't have impa- impacted the team, then never claim that baseball is a game of inches, is a game of like you know small decisions, is a game of, I mean, think of a game like, think, think of a sport like hockey or soccer, for example, where games are decided by one to five goals it's not who dominates the game it's just who puts the ball in the net the or the puck in the net uh, as frequently as 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 possible and that's ultimately the way to succeed it's based on a few events baseball's kind of the same way it's based on well, a few most events. fans i think see that the problem here is the recency bias yeah. they think that the royal series will go down in history as this huge failure no one's talking about the three in a row they lost in the sky dome and you know what uh, Jose Abreu got picked off second base in that game. Kind of a big deal. It included one of Martin Maldonado's various passed balls. Um, no hits from Maldonado in that game. No hits from Jolks in that game, who entered at DH, by the way, when Jordan got hurt. They could have entered Yiner Diaz at DH. He did not participate in that baseball game. He didn't come in at all. So... You know, and obviously it means he didn't hit for Maldi and blah, blah, blah. Pena 0 for 4 leadoff. So they all count. And we've got six left. And we're going to need at least four of them. And quite possibly five. But we're going to need at least four of these games in the win column. None of them at home. All of them against pitchers who are in the top half of the league and stuff. Um, and all right-handed pitchers. So it's a high degree of difficulty. And to Aiden's point earlier, you can make the case. If they can't get four or five of these six games here, this probably wasn't a team since the whole American League playoffs is just going to be high-quality right-handed pitching um, that was going to make a run anyway. So we will come back. We'll try to get you on Thursday since the Astros do have an off day when much of the league does not, that final Thursday of the season, and put the Arizona series into focus. And if somehow we get swept in Seattle and it's over, um, it'll just be a full-on roast fest of uh, all the mistakes and blunders of this season. So thank you yeah. for joining us. Just a quick Aiden, note, I, 
I, uh, if the Astros don't make the playoffs or have a first round exit, uh, I'm definitely planning on writing an article about all that went wrong. So if you're listening to this, I'll put out a tweet then, but uh, I'll be taking as many requests as possible for, for content ideas and that comes to it. So obviously, you know, going to res- stay respectful, but this is a season and I tweeted these yesterday that the, I don't think the best book about the Astros has even been written yet. And that's saying something given that some of the books that have been written. So. Yeah, I've said the same. My guess is that at least a couple of the big national writers are sitting on some of the stuff that gets leaked to Chandler about the favoritism and some of the front office dysfunction. Um, And there's a pretty good chance. I mean, the Padres recently had an article written that, frankly, was kind of a bit of a nothing burger about like how their culture is, you know, like it turns out the clubhouse actually is fine and they like each other and the players wanted to make sure everyone understood that it wasn't dysfunctional. But I guess A.J. Preller hired a couple of weirdos who nobody really knows what they do. But, I mean, my guess is what's left to be said about the Astros far exceeds whatever the San Diego gossip was um, two weeks ago. So we'll see. Um, You know, Aiden, if you have sources in the game, now is the time to just (laughs) blast it out. All right, so we'll hope to see on Thursday. Certainly, if if they're still alive, if they win any games at all in Seattle – We'll, we'll be back on Thursday. If it's all over except the funeral, we might wait until Monday. But definitely, if there's things at stake, we'll have a new episode for you on Thursday. Have a good week, everybody.